Welcome. I am a small, fuzzy, middle-aged woman, unexpectedly named Turl Kronberg. And in the very front of my brain, I have an exceptional little bit that I call the wise turtle. She is the most thoughtful, observant, and compassionate part of me. And this podcast is her platform for speaking to the world. Her aim is to try to understand the patterns of growth in the universe and use those discoveries to help us all uncover the most important, inspiring story of who we are and where we want to go as Earthlings. I hope that you enjoy her musings. Namaste. present an idea, a theory of how the brain works in a very uh, universal sort of general way that right now it's just a pretty rough draft theory. Um, I just sort of decided to kind of make it concrete right now, um, or actually a few days ago. And I'm just kind of exploring it here, but it's based on many, many, you know, all of my observations up to now. It's based on a lot of research and a lot of exploration about everything from systems theory to neuroscience to um, AI and all of that sort of thing. So it's grounded in a very sort of mainstream understanding of the brain, but it's right now just a theory. Uh, well, I mean, it's always just a theory, but it's, it's a very rudimentary theory right now. But I think it probably has a, a pretty reasonable uh, mapping to how the brain actually works. So anyway, to start off with, um, I'm going to look at something and tell you what I experience of it. Right now, I happen to be looking uh, in a room. I'm sitting in this odd little room that's sometimes an art gallery, but right now it is empty of art, or at least for the most part is empty of intentional art anyway. Uh, And I'm seeing a bunch of different things all at once. I'm getting uh, experiences and not just seeing things. I'm feeling things. I'm hearing things. not so much tasting things, but, you know, that could happen. Um, Not much of a smell in here either, but uh, all of those senses are taking in information right now, as is the normal case when we're awake, conscious, that higher level of consciousness where we're actually aware of our outside environment and can direct our attention to different things, as opposed to being asleep or under uh, sedation, in a, you know, in a hospital, being unconscious there. So 
I take in all of this information through my senses. I'm taking in the light waves. I'm, my body is taking that information uh, through my various senses, my skin, my eyes, my ears, all of that stuff, and translating it into uh, little signals in my brain that go into the brain and something happens, right? Something gets triggered. There are these little neurons in the brain and you have the information coming in as a signal. It's an electrical signal, sometimes a chemical signal. Um, pretty much that's it. That's how the brain works. There are a few other things going on, but that's primarily it. You've got electrical signals and chemical signals. And the chemical signals help the electrical signals work. Or possibly vice versa, you could call it the other way around. But it, it takes the energy which is coming in, which is an electrical signal from the nerves. Again, all of the information is being conveyed through the nerves, the nervous system. The eyes have nerves in them. The ears have nerves in them. My skin has nerves in them. My taste buds, tongue has nerves, everything. So it comes into the brain as an electrical signal, and it does something. That part I'm not going to talk so much about. That's the sort of detail, biology, biochemistry, whatever you want to call it, that um, lots of people like to study, but it's not super important for us understanding the general universal way that a mind works. If we're wanting to understand what, say, uh, artificial intelligence would be if we want to understand how in a general way we learn. Um, we don't need to know the nitty-gritty details of the me mechanics of it because we can actually we can actually do things different ways uh, when it comes to mechanical things. I mean look at how uh, you know, different forms of vehicles there are. You know, you have bicycles, you have motor vehicle, cars, trucks, you have airplanes, you have motorcycles. We have all different mechanical ways of moving things with wheels. So when it comes to a brain, it doesn't have to work the exact same electrical, biochemical way. So we're looking at the more general elements of uh, the universal elements that go into this thinking process, the way that we take in information, process it, and put it out there. So what generally seems to happen is that this information comes in, the electricity comes in as some kind of form of, you know, pattern. And that pattern triggers some neurons, whatever way it comes in, there's a pathway that it comes in. So the brain is, um, you know how people say that uh, we're blank slate when we're born. Some people say that, some people say, no, we're not a blank slate. Well, the truth is both because uh, a blank slate isn't entirely nothing. A blank slate is a slate. There is a slate there, there is a structure to the slate and how the slate is structured affects what gets put on it and how you perceive what gets put on it. So if you have a, a very large, wide open, smooth slate, the things that get put on it, that get written on it, drawn on it, whatever, look different than if you have a very tiny, spherical, bumpy, weird, blobby kind of slate, chalkboard, whatever you want to call this thing. Um, 
so we're talking about the architecture um, that it's genetically programmed plus a little bit of environmental stuff while the, the, the brain is developing. I mean, the brain is always developing, obviously. Your brain doesn't stop working and your brain continues to be alive. And so that means it changes. And whether it's growing or not or the opposite, um, it is always changing because it's a biological thing. It's not dead. So, um, but we're talking about the structure that comes in, the architecture that comes in at the very beginning, that's sort of the basic structure that does, for the most part, stick around for the rest of your life. We, we do know that some neurons do die and maybe get replaced, and you might get a few new ones here and there, but as, for the most part, as far as I understand, um, the, the neurons that are in your brain when you're born are basically the same neurons in the same place uh, when you're dead what they're connected to is what changes. So the neurons are sort of the nodes, uh, the, the sort of end points of your brain. And then the connections are like the roads that connect those different nodes. You know, you can think of it like uh, cities on a map. You know, there, there are different ways you can get from point A to point B. Uh, and the point A and the point B are your neurons, but the different connections between those things um, are what vary. And what happens is the signals that come into your brain, they trigger some, whatever, they, they come in in a certain direction. So, you know, there's like from your eyeball into the occipital bone, uh, occipital bone, occipital um, uh, area of your brain, which is sort of the back um, middle part of your brain. Um, upper middle, I guess, part of your brain. It's kind of above your ears and, uh, but in the back. So signals come in, I mean, the, the actual nerves from your eyeballs come into the back of your brain and whatever nerves they're connected to first are the ones that um, get triggered by whatever you see. And so just the fact that your eyes are open those nerves get triggered first and they say, oh, your eyes are open. I'm seeing something. And, and it starts getting more detailed from there and it starts to take detours from there and goes in different directions depending on what you're seeing. So uh, each nerve gets triggered by something and then that record, it's, it's essentially recording what you've seen. The nerve gets triggered and it says, oh, hello, I've gotten a signal. I'm going to go tell somebody about it. I'm going to go tell them what I saw. Um, and if I saw something that is similar to what I've seen before, uh, that nerve gets triggered even more. Um, and again, this is going into probably more detail than it needs to, but that's the basic gist of it. Um, so each time the nerve gets triggered by seeing something or hearing something or whatever, um, it, it's essentially recording that. It's strengthening the pathway from the thing that happened before to this thing now, and it moves and it sends a signal out to other pathways, and those pathways get strengthened. And I really don't know exactly how the whole strengthening and weakening of uh, the 
connections between neurons happen, uh, the axons and dendrites and all that stuff. I, I actually have no clue how that happens. Um, but basically the idea is the more a pathway gets triggered, the more um, the, the stronger that connection becomes in the brain, the stronger, I mean, physically, the, the axon or dendrite or whatever it is gets stronger, um, more capable of carrying signals in some way. So what ends up getting ha happening is that you get uh, a sort of network connection of nodes, the neurons, and their pathways, the lines between them. So each time a memory comes, I mean, a, a, an experience comes in, it gets eventually sent out through a bunch of different pathways uh, because you're experiencing a whole bunch of different things at the same time. You never experience just one thing. You never experience a pure nothingness. You can get fairly close in like uh, certain, um, oh, what do they call it, isolation chamber things, the things where you float in the water and it's all dark and it's very quiet, so you're isolated from sound, so you're only hearing your own body or something like that. But, but there's still always something going on that your body is sensing, even if it's just something inside the body, because you can feel stuff inside your body. You can feel pain and, you know, your heartbeat. You can sort of feel in here and stuff like that. So there's always some information coming into your brain, no matter what you're experiencing. So all of this comes in, and it gets sort of recorded in these neurons in a pattern. So you've got these, it's kind of like a constellation in the sky. You've got these stars, but you're going to draw lines between them. And those lines are going to make the meaning. They're going to give the neurons connection to other, other neurons uh, a unique state which is similar to, say, the letter A. Now, there are different ways to write the letter A, but let's use, for example, the capital A, that you know, the classic capital A that we learn, uh, at least in uh, US American schools, we learned, you know, there's a, sort of a triangle, almost a triangle, uh, two, pointy, two lines intersecting at the top, and then there's a little horizontal line in the middle. And that's basically like what's going on in your brain. You've got lines and you've got intersection points or endpoints, kind of the same thing, um, points where stuff happens. And so you've made in your brain, when you've taken in this experience, you've made something that's a pattern. You've taken in a pattern of information and you recorded it as a pattern, different pattern. You know, the information that's coming in from your brain is like light waves and electricity, and you've recorded it in this sort of materialistic pattern of neurons connected to one another. Um, so that's a memory. You've taken this information, it's been recorded, and that's a memory. And then the next time that a similar bit of information comes in. Again, we're experiencing all this different information at all the times. Like in this room right now, I'm not just experiencing um, the fact that there isn't much of a smell, that I'm not really tasting anything. There isn't any food in here, um, unless I nibble on my own arm or 
There might be some crumbs on the floor. So oh, there's a dead fly on the floor. I could try eating that. No, thanks. But anyway, there, I right now I am experiencing no t- no taste sensation, no smell sensation, other than sort of normal ambient air sensation. Um, I am, however, seeing um, a window with some trees outside and some buildings, and there's a big white funky tent like almost like a carnival tent it's a really big tent for an event um and then inside i'm inside the windows i'm experiencing a very mostly empty room it's just got a some pretty wood uh paneling on the floors or yeah it's actually wood um and a very beige everything else is painted beige and what i'm looking at right in front of me and what i'm sitting on are some very bright red sort of strange shaped object uh seating things they're they're all abstract shapes they're, they're no defined uh, regular shapes they're just kind of blobby things that have cushions on top of them and uh they make kind of a good noise cuz they're kind of overstuffed <laughs> And there's probably some vinyl under there. And it sounds a little bit like a drum. Okay, so I've just taken in a whole bunch of sensory information. Um, Oh, and they're kind of soft. They're sort of a bumpy, soft, carpety kind of upholstery fabric. And bright red. Did I mention they're bright red? Okay, so red. I've got a kind of overwhelming experience of red. Because everything else is fairly bland. The trees are fairly green. The sky is not so blue right now. There's some blue sky whip above, but right now it's a little bit cloudy, so it's kind of white. Um, and because it's not super sunny right now, the trees aren't like vibrantly green. Um, the buildings are sort of blandly brownish red. So, the, and the floor is sort of light yellowish wood color, um, fairly pale, and the beige is pale. And So the most important thing that my visual stimulation right now sees is the red. And why is that? I mean, there are other colors in here. There's the yellowish floor and there's the greenish, but the red is striking my brain a little bit brighter, a little bit stronger. The neurons are firing a little bit harder, whatever they do. Um, There's more pathways lighting up because in all of my memories, of experiences that I've had in the world, red has been a fairly aggressive one. We know this because, you know, there are all the whole science things about uh, nature and, you know, red being a warning signal, red being a signal about uh, sexual attraction, you know, what our blood is red. So whether it's a sexual attraction or a violence thing, you know, red is a very aggressive color. And then of course we add on to that the artificial reds that we use for red lights and red stop signs and red warning signals and uh, so on and so forth. So this red experience when it comes into my brain and the light signals say, it's this wavelength and that goes into my brain. This whole network of nodes, not neurons, and the lines connecting them, uh, the pathways going from one nerve to another, gets triggered, gets lit up, whatever you want to call it, gets electrified, chemical 
chemicalified. All the things are going zoom in my brain when I see this color. Because there's that pattern that says, red is this, red is like this. When red happens, all this other stuff happens along with the red. And that's because, like I said, when the information comes into the brain, it's not, there's not just ever one pure thing. It all comes in at once. There's there are all these sensory informations coming in at, at the same time. And those get recorded. And then over time, like, for example, when you're born, when you're, or what, even when you're a fetus, the brain is starting to take in information. So for the first, you know, year or so of your life, um, if you're a human or any other animal with a brain, you are taking in all this information new and you're sort of trying to collate it. You're trying to see what's similar and what's different. Your brain is sort of... There's, there's not a term that I can really use here that I can't, I can't quite put my finger on the term and I'm not sure if there is one. It's kind of like burrowing down, drilling down, triangulating. Um, it, it sort of takes a stack of all of these memories, kind of like slides. Uh, if you had like a bunch of different translucent slides and there was just a whole bunch of different information on them. But in each one of them, there happened to be a circle. And the circle moved around, but there was still always a circle. You could take those slides and you could line up um, carefully where the circle was. And you could, you could move the slides around so that, so that you lined up that circle. So that it was always in the same point. Um, and then you could kind of stab a tack or a nail through the stack of slides or drill a hole or something that connected that circle through all of the slides. And then all of this other stuff that was around the circle, when you were looking at those slides, might, there might be some other commonalities that happened. For example, there might be another circle right next to it different color, maybe different size, something like that. Um, or maybe it's the same size, and the same color, in which case maybe those are eyes. Or possibly breasts. Or possibly windows on an airplane or a boat, something else that has circular windows. I don't know. Um, so anyway, the brain sort of connects the dots of the things that are that happen regularly or at least commonly around that same experience around the experience of that one neuron so the one neuron comes in and thought okay it's that circle that's that circle neuron right there or you know a small group of neurons that it gets triggered every single time you see that circle but then there are neurons that get triggered around that same experience every time you have the experience of that circle something else usually happens, or at least often happens. And so those neurons get connected. So you have groups of neurons. So you have an A, for example, for the circle, maybe it looks like a little A shape. And then maybe the other circle has a B shape. And so you have I, A, and high B, I, B. You know, eyeball A and eyeball B that you're looking at the pupils. Um, your brain doesn't know that until a later date, but 
you see these two things, you know, you're an infant and you look out and you see these two circles. And eventually it starts understanding that, that your mom has two eyes. Every time you see your mom, she has two eyes. Sometimes you can't see the other eye. So you're not entirely sure if maybe the eye goes away or maybe sometimes she doesn't have the eye, but nearly every time you see her, she has two eyes. So the brain starts collating this information and connecting the dots, literally. Um, the neurons being the dots and connecting them with the axons. So we're making little constellations of things that are related. So you have A related to B in your brain. You have this little cluster that looks like an A and a little cluster that looks like a B shape in your brain. Again, this is metaphorical. But it could, I mean, it could literally look like an A in, you know, the neuron shapes. It probably doesn't, but, you know, it's, it's lines being connecting to endpoints and intersection points. So we could look at again, A. Probably doesn't just because we have a lot more neurons usually for a complex experience, like an eyeball because it has colors and it has other stuff, you know, around it. But anyway, it, it looks for these connections of how often when I experience this one experience, does this other stuff happen? And it starts to make predictions. This is what thinking is. It's not just recording stuff. We know that. A tape recorder records stuff. It's not thinking, as far as we generally agree. But we start making predictions based on those things. So it the brain, the little baby brain, it sees its mom and it says, I bet my mom's going to have two eyes today <laughs> when I look at her. And if it gets that right, if the next slide that comes in, the next bit of you know collection of information that comes in and she, your mom, the, the mom comes and has two eyes and the brain says, aha, I was right, it has two eyes. So it adds another slide and it reinforces those nerves, um, neuron connections and says, yes, 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 more of this. We're right, this is good, we understand. On the other case, what happens if mom puts a mask on and those eyes are different or doesn't even have any eyes, maybe. And then the brain says, no, wait, what? No. And so that's a strong rejection. Um, it's somewhat less strong if your mom turns your head, or, you know, turns her head, and then the eye comes back, you know, a few seconds later. You know, that's not super strong. But if there's something really weird looking, and your mom turns the, mom turns the head, and then there's, like, this mask on, and she suddenly has no eyes... Um, and that lasts for a little while, that's going to be a very strong memory that gets recorded that most of the time mom has two eyes, but every once in a while mom has no eyes, and that's really creepy. <laughs> and we're going to remember that for the future, because when we predict what's going to happen, maybe that one's going to come up again. So the thinking process then becomes us re-experiencing. We have a memory. We have an experience, we write it in the memory, it's a pattern, a little map. Um, I'm actually going to link to a couple of, uh, or one, I think, video um, about the, the mathematics of actually diagramming the nerves in the brain and using those to understand um, how ideas relate to one another and how they can be sort of defined mathematically and their complexity. Um, which is really kind of cool. I'll link to that. 
so uh, you can see that and I don't have to talk too much about it if you're curious um, but basically it's you know what I said like the letters you're, you're having nodes and connections and you make shapes they're three-dimensional obviously in the brain but um, they can be represented fairly two-dimensionally because um, if you're eliminating all the other stuff in the brain you don't need so much three-dimensionality so I forgot where I was. <laughs> um, so the thinking process, you've taken in the information, you've recorded it in this pattern, and then you make predictions based on these connections. Now the connections, because these patterns, like I said, we have the, think about the slides, you know, each experience is a different experience. And so there's different sets of information, different sets of data that come in, like the example of the, the one time that mom has uh, no eyes when she turns her face around. And when you, when you record that, it stays there for the most part. And so do all the other experiences that come around when you see mom, or when I see red, or when I see the trees, all the other experiences like the tastes and the smells and the sounds, those also get recorded at that, of that instant. It's basically literally like taking a photo of what's happening, and you're just recording that. Now, over time, because you're, the brain is drilling down, and it actually does weed out the stuff that just doesn't seem connected really at all. It just, you know, it was totally coincidental. You know, that one time that that one thing happened, you know, when I looked at the color red and I smelled a porcupine. I don't know what a porcupine smells like, but maybe they smell like something. And I saw the color red and I smelled a porcupine. And that was only one time. And so my brain might actually forget that. It, it might actually uh, disconnect those. Again, I, I don't know exactly the process. I really don't care too much. I mean, I'm a little curious. If you, want, if you want to tell me about it, that's fine. You can let me know. Um, it's not super important to the general concept that the, the brain strengthens and weakens these connections, these pathways. Um, as, as the slides build up, the, the things that are similar and different um, get either strengthened or weakened, and you get... Um, a pattern that's fuzzy. You get to see a pattern where you've got a very strong line. So again, look back to the example of a constellation where you're connecting the dots. You can connect the dots with a very dark line, or you can just kind of sketch them in lightly. Like you're not really sure about that line, but you know, maybe you want to connect that. And then there are lines that actually just get erased. So you've got this sort of fuzzy fuzzy design, fuzzy shape, fuzzy pattern going on where you've got um, things being recorded and remembered, but some of the things aren't super remembered very well. So that's where the prediction comes in. You've got like a bell curve. You've got the stuff in the middle that happens most of the time and the stuff on the edges that happens once in a while, but you do want to remember it a little bit. And so as your experiencing something again as you're experiencing say the color red or your mom's face another time a new time your your brain makes the prediction that i'm expecting this time that she's going to have two eyes or this color red is going to be possibly 
a little important, scary, dangerous, whatever, something I should pay attention to. And then it's also in the back of, you know, in the, in the, the back up, the long tail, it's going to say, but there are these other things that might happen too. So be mildly prepared for these other things to happen. Maybe mom won't have any eyeballs at all today when I look at her. So it's got this probability curve. And that's what you're doing when you're thinking. You bring in new information and your brain says, aha, the next thing that happens or the next variety of things that might happen are this. It's most likely going to be this, but then there's a small probability of these other things happening as far as my experience has shown. And then if something new happens, um, that gets a surprise and you learn something. And so you write that into your, your probability curve. Um, and if you get it right, you strengthen your probability curve in the, you know, the middle part. And you say, aha, that's what I expected to happen. That's what happens even more often than I thought. So that is basically how the brain's working. It's recording these. It, it's literally just recording stuff initially. It's just taking in all of the information that happens all at once, all the sensory information, and it's just recording that, like raw data. And then it takes that raw data and overlaps it, essentially, over time, and it looks for the similarities and differences. And when there are similarities, it makes those connections. So it, it, it says, aha, the, the letter Q often goes next to the letter U, so it puts those into a, a s almost single element in the brain. As This is this new thing. This is the QU thing. And then as you experience stuff, those relationships get re-triggered, and that's just remembering them. They get re-triggered, and that's making you remembering stuff, and that those memories are bringing up the probability curve and making predictions. And then as new experiences come in, they, they, you get feedback and you rewrite those predictions based on the new information. So there's essentially nothing complicated going on at all in the brain. Nothing. It sounds very simple when you... Because, of course, the brain itself, the mechanisms of the brain are really complex. And yeah, maybe even there's some quantum stuff going on that we don't know about. But the, the general elements of what are going on are very universal and very simple rules, very simple concepts. And that's why we can take this and apply it to artificial intelligence. We can take it and apply it to figuring out how to teach people better and understanding how uh, neuroses work and psychoses work and maybe having this basic concept. And we can also test this out because this is just a theory, as I said. We can test it out and see if it's actually true. And then we can work from there, get more feedback, see if that works. Look at the patterns. <laughs> so I'm going to end that here. And um, you guys can connect with me if you want. Um, my email is thewiseturtle at gmail.com. T-H-E-W-I-S-E-T-U-R-T-L-E at gmail, G-M-A-I-L.com. You can always email me whatever you want, questions, comments, suggestions, rants, raves, whatever you want.
Um, you can also find me at Reddit. Uh, use user Turl, T-U-R-I-L, and that's my name, Turl. And you can find me in a bunch of different places under Turl. And um, you can also find my website at turl.org, T-U-R-I-L dot O-R-G, which is where this podcast is. Um, if you didn't happen to find it there in the first place, <laughs> maybe you've got it forwarded to you by someone else, which is totally awesome. Please do forward this to anyone. Um, there's no copyright. There's no uh, anything on it. Just please use it as you want. Um, it'd be great if you credited me, but, you know, if you don't want to credit me, that's fine, too. <laughs> Heck, make a million dollars off of what I have to say. If you really want, I think that would be probably fairly boring, and your conscience would not be clear, but um, if that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do. I'd rather have my ideas out there and being tested out and getting feedback and being useful than not. So whatever you want to do with it, that's great, too. All right. I'm going to leave you with that and hope that your experiences and the feedback you get from them help you predict things as well as possible. All right. Namaste.